Welcome to another episode of Electable. I'm Deb Chubb, and today it is really terrific uh, to be joined by Jennifer McCormick, Dr. Jennifer McCormick, who was our last elected uh, state superintendent of education um, during her tenure. Uh, our state legislature and governor um, moved to change that position to an appointed position. Um, because uh, Jennifer McCormick uh, was looking out for kids and public education, and our state legislature did not uh, appreciate that. So um, that was just another, you know, another chip in, um, you know, in our legislative and election process in Indiana that has, you know, been changing uh, year by year by the legislature. So anyway, sorry, Jennifer. So um, I want you to just um, introduce yourself and, you know, kind of tell us what, what are your big issues? What, you know, you're running for governor. Um, you're, you've been at this for a long time already, which is great. I know you've been all over the state. So what are you talking to people about and what are people talking to you about? Yeah. So first of all, I am, I appreciate it, Deb. I am with you from my home in Henry County, which is rural Indiana in East Central Indiana. I bring that up because I think it's important to know that I have lived in suburban areas. I have lived in urban areas and I have lived in rural areas. And so I understand the differences. I understand the similarities but I also understand that Hoosiers have a voice regardless of where they reside. And so I've traveled the state and made a very cognizant effort to do a lot of listening because I know the state is very, very different. And so it's been interesting. The trends and the threads of the messaging are very, very um, obvious and they're very, very aligned. So I hear a lot, regardless of where I am, about education. And when I say education, I'm saying the system, which Indiana does not um, look at that way as far as childcare, pre-K, K-12, and post-high school. I'm hearing a lot about all those pieces of a system. I'm also hearing a lot about healthcare, whether it's the cost, whether that is um, access to care, whether that is our rights and our freedoms. Um, it, there's just a lot, you know. I'm also hearing from providers that they're con concerned that their peers are le leaving Indiana, and we we can't entice people to come into Indiana to practice. Same thing we've been seeing for over a decade in education. And then finally, I'm hearing a lot right now, particularly about um, the unions and our wages and not just wages for our union members, but also non-union members, but what it means for having strong unions in a state. And then that conversation usually goes into benefits and work safety and where are we going to find these people and we need an educated workforce and why are we doing what we're doing? And so there are a lot of conversations with that comes a lot of emotions and I'm hearing a lot of fear. I'm hearing a lot of anger. I have a lot of people like, you know, can you believe we're at this point in Indiana? Can you believe we're at this point as a nation? And can you believe people still follow Trump? I mean, I hear a lot of those conversations because it is, it brings up emotions of, you know, fear and anger and disbelief. And I just remind people, the only thing we can do with those emotions is really turn that into doing something about it, you know, turning it into um, you know, a determination to get things done, to fight and to win. So I'm in this governor's race. I tell people I'm in it and I'm going to win it. But I also know too, it's going to take a lot of grassroots, but that means I have to listen, which I have been to um, Hoosiers across the state on what they're feeling and what they're needing. Right. And, uh, you know, as, as um, related to employment is of course, childcare. 
So um, a lot of other states um, that have um, elected Democratic governors are getting full, uh, full universal pre-K, um, at least for four-year-olds. I know Michigan is just now starting that. I've been involved with some people up there and they're doing great work and they're, you know, they're providing all kinds of great new um, programming and they, you know, they're looking for people to coordinate even all the programming and all the stuff that's happening. And it's just right. so exciting. Um, not in Indiana. In Indiana, um, you know, there's really been no discussion of uh, helping. But last session, you know, increased the amount of money that went to the pre-K on my way. Um, but it's not enough. I mean, it's, in, you know, it's, I think it's less than 10,000 um, children. I mean, you know, there's you know hundreds of thousands of children who need to be um, cared for um, while their parents work. And, and that's not going to cut it. Um, so, and, and it is interesting. And so I'm, I'm just, I am really perplexed by the lack of interest in childcare, considering that I know two years ago, the Farm Bureau put it childcare as their top legislative um, priority on their agenda. Um, and Chamber of Commerce put uh, childcare as the top agenda item uh, for the legislative uh, session. And yet zero was done. And now um, we're facing a federal uh, change at tomorrow that on September 30th, uh, the, uh, the federal government will stop providing financial support for child care providers all over the country. Um, this support was given during the pandemic and it allowed child care facilities to pay their staff more uh, to keep their costs reasonable to parents. Um, but that's ending now. So we're going to see child care centers uh, closing. I can't, you know, I mean, if you're going to say to your employees, OK, your wages are going to go down. Uh, you know, inflation is going up, uh, but we're going to reduce your wages. I mean, that's not going to work. Uh, or we're going to say, parents, okay, now you've got to pay a lot more for childcare uh, because we can't make we can't make this business work uh, unless you do. And you know, some parents just will not be able to do it. They just won't right. be able to do it, and they'll have to leave. So, um, and I know this is all getting overshadowed by the government shutdown, but this this issue is going to hit home. So what are your thoughts on child care? What are you going to do? Yeah. So, and it was a reminder over half of the state still, regardless of a shutdown, regardless of what happens in that space, still does not have access to either quality care or affordable care. And I too talk to employers. I talk to chambers. I talk to employees. I'm talking to schools, hospitals, you name it. And they're all telling me the same thing. If we don't figure out the childcare piece of this, we are never going to have the quality of workers that we need. We're never going to have workers in quantity that we need. We are never going to have communities that thrive because it takes all of us. And part of the message of us looking at our team, at re, talk, talking about education as a system, and I firmly believe that. When Indiana sees it right now as with the supermajority of Republicans, they very much want that siloed. They see early child care, K-12, they do not connect like your FSSA, your DCS, your DWD, CHE, all those governmental agencies with the alphabet soup. They don't want them together. They don't want that conversation happening. The resources are very splintered. Things can be done without a huge lift if it is prioritized. And if we truly are willing to look at the data and say, okay, what do we need to do? As a state, we have continually seen that early child care or just early childhood piece seen as an expense. 
And we need to start looking at as an investment. I was just at Ball State last week and there were some young folks there. You know, you're talking traditional college age, so 18 to 22-ish. And they were very, very interesting um, as far as they're projecting out in their life, thinking, okay, if I start a family down the road, how's this going to play out? And they are very aware of how Indiana is seeing all education as more of an expense. And, and so they're pushing on that. They're like, look, this is an investment in our life. This is an investment in our families. This is an investment in our communities. And, and I'm like, they get it. They're having that conversation. Our general assembly knows better. They're just not willing to do better. And so that's again, why I'm running because I know better and I'm willing to do better. And I think that's the, the key. It's about leadership. Right. And, and, you know, I can't not talk about what's happening in the legislature. Um, it's, you know, We've seen over and over again bills presented that are so extreme um, that are not supported by the majority of Hoosiers. Um, but we and so we all go down, we scream and yell and you know pound on the walls, and it makes no difference whatsoever. Legislators know that they can pass whatever bill they are paid the highest price to pass without any accountability, and they will continue to get reelected. And they have you know they have that confidence because. They have changed all of the laws. They have gerrymandered um, the districts and have changed election laws to keep them in power no matter what their constituents think. Um, and that, of course, has driven down voter turnout because everyone has kind of thrown their hands up and, and feels like, it's why should I vote? It doesn't make a difference. It's gerrymandered. This Republican person is going to win no matter what I do. Um, and, and so... You know, so we have to overcome that. And we can. We can as an, an electorate, um, you know, by turning out, if enough of us turn out. Um, and and if we talk to Republicans about whether they think that legislators should be accountable to their constituents, uh, because I think everybody believes in those those basic principles of representation, fair representation and um, and and being accountable to your constituency. That's what politics is all about. If you don't do something that your constituency likes, they vote you out. So uh, so we need to really go back to that principle because that's what's missing in this whole mix in Indiana. Um, legislators are passing everything, you know, the permitless gun carry um, that was so widely opposed, it was unbelievable, uh, but still got passed. Um, you know, of course the abortion ban, not supported by the majority of Hoosiers, still got passed. And I and after the our Indiana State Supreme Court ruling on the ACLU's challenge to that uh, law, um, which said, yeah, you can, you know, legislature, you can legislate um, on abortion um, ex to the extent up to the life of the mother, which means that our legislature could go back next session and put more restrictions on abortion. They could get rid of the rape exception. They could get rid of the um, fatal fetal anomaly exception. Uh, and they could say, nope, it has to be absolutely imminent death before you can get an abortion. Uh, and that would be supported by our state Supreme Court. Uh, I don't even know what to say about them. But anyway, so there's just all of, you know, this could get worse. And we're at a time where they could pass those bills regardless of whether Hoosiers actually support it. So anyway, so... <sighs> Talk to me about the election laws. What can we do to get more, get a more accountable legislature? So when we were at the state house, we constantly talked about what we 
experience. And for us, it was about the lack of accountability, the lack of fairness, and the lack of transparency. And when you have those, you have weak governance, when you have the lack of any of those. And obviously, the opposite of that is when you have accountability and you have transparency and you have fairness, and you have strong governance. There is no appetite for strong governance right now because weak governance holds a lot of power for individuals. Weak governance holds a lot of control and power over people. And so when you have strong governance that's doing good work, um, then you empower people. And obviously with the supermajority, in order to keep their supermajority, that's why you're seeing the lack of accountability, the lack of fairness, and that lack of transparency. The only thing we can control is gerrymandering is a huge problem across the nation, huge. And Indiana is one of the worst in the nation. But we can control our statewide offices. And that means control our controllables right now by continuing to vote all down ballot, regardless of how badly the area is gerrymandered or the region or your community. But also, you we've got to go out and vote. So I hear Democrats sometimes get caught up in the woe is us. And first of all, we can win in Indiana. We can win in Indiana, but we have to go vote. And that means taking advantage of all the voting options that we have, although our voting is becoming more and more suppressed. So now's the time to take advantage of it or it's going to be gone. And I don't say that lightly, but we can control our controllables by messaging of we can win in Indiana. We certainly can win. Statewides are a different beast than you when you have the gerrymander to the nth degree. It's still tough, but we certainly can win. But with that, with those wins comes an opportunity to change some of that down ballot gerrymandering that happens. So I think we just have to stay focused on what we can control right now. And that is our voting. That is our voting and making sure we have great candidates, making sure we're filling the ballots, making sure we're supporting our candidates, because we've got some really good ones on the ballot in 2023. Hopefully 2024, people will be pleased. I know I'm biased, but we've got, I mean, we're, we're doing great things, um, but we need people to go vote. You know, we, we have a decent registration, not great, but decent. We're continuing to work on that. But even if those who are registered vote, we win. If we throw more registered voters into that mix, we win by more. So it is time we start messaging to kids, you don't like people controlling your body. You don't like people telling you who you, who you can and cannot marry. You don't like schools telling people where they can and cannot go to school based on their color, based on their sexual orientation, based on their gender, gender um, identification. If you don't like that, if you don't like what's happening, you vote. That is the only way we're going to change this picture. That is the only way to make this happen. Yes, 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 yes. So um, I also, um, and I have to bring up uh, the environmental um, landscape in Indiana. Um, this is another case where legislators have been bought and sold um, by polluters, um, by the coal industry. You know, most recently, uh, John Ford has resigned his uh, senator position to go work and represent the coal industry. Um, so, you know, he did their bidding while he was in office. He's the gentleman who uh, is down there in um, Vigo and Vermilion counties where um, Wabash Valley Resources is, you know, wanting to do all kinds of things and, you know, kind of, you know, making all kinds of changes in the law that really sailed through, that really surprised me, um, that allowed uh, allowed these industries to shift liability for damages caused by problems with their work 
um, to homeowners and landowners. So, um, so that if landowners are above these pipelines, they want to put under there. They're doing high pressure um, pipelines for uh, CO2s that they're, you know, capturing or first creating and then capturing uh, through these pipelines that go under the land and then injected uh, down, you know, thousands of feet, um, you know, into the earth. Um, you know, no one's really sure how that will work and what damage might happen. Um, but if damage does happen, um, the industry, the polluters are not going to be the ones to pay for it. And that's right. what the legislation guaranteed. So now, and now there's an uproar down there in Vigo and Vermilion counties. And they, you know, and that's great. People need to stand up and say, that, oh, we don't know what's going on here. This is not fair. We won't have it. But uh, that legislator, uh, now he's going to, well, you know, he's done his job for the uh, coal industry uh, before as a legislator. And so now it's the, now he's getting the big paycheck um, because uh, he did all their bidding and that's going on. And that's that kind of environmental disaster ship is happening all over the state. We've seen it with the reduction in protection for wetlands um, uh, to favor builders who are, you know, very well represented in our legislature. And, you know, and we're seeing it, you know, in all of the utilities, uh, all of the rate increases that uh, Hoosiers are having to live with you know, because those utilities are paying off legislators. And and in Indiana, there is very little campaign finance rule to limit that. So uh, so it's perfectly legal to pay off your legislator in Indiana and get what you want. Your quid pro quo is protected by law here in Indiana. And, um, and so, I mean, <laughs> I don't even know where to go with this, but tell us where you're going to, you know, where you can help with the environmental um, kind of terrible uh, direction that Indiana is heading in. Yeah. So one, it goes back down to, for Indiana, economic development is important, right? And I don't think there's anyone, regardless of political affiliation, that wouldn't say, hey, we hope that we don't have any economic development in the state of Indiana. This is not that conversation. This conversation is about, we cannot have economic development at the expense of water supply, air quality, soil conservation i mean it, that's that's nonsensical to say we're going to sacrifice what we've all been privy to for many decades but leave it to nothing for the next generations to come that is nonsensical indiana is already feeling it and what drives me crazy is when you have general assembly folks or when you have like a senator braun who says we love you know we love the environment we're environmentalists but yet their records on voting completely tell a story the other way. I looked up Mike Bronze and it was 4% on environmental issues, 4%. And so, you know, four environmental issues. But you look at what's happening in Indiana right now. I know some of the environmental folks were sharing with me. We went from like 184,000 protected timber lands, public lands, to now we're down to like three or 4,000. Hmm. And that's dwindling. And so, you know, wetlands is, you know, experiencing the same thing and, and water quality, air quality. I mean, your aquifers are now at risk in many of our parts of our of our state that we've been very fortunate to have great water supply in Indiana. The crazy part of that is, is you have a great deal of experts in the state of Indiana from inside our universities and outside of our universities saying, pump the brakes. 
they're not anti-economic development. They're saying, hey, we need to figure some things out here and be smart about this development and what makes sense and what doesn't make sense so we can still take care of our national, our nat natural resources. And they're being ignored. And it goes back to what you said earlier. They're being ignored because there is no accountability, there is no fairness, and there is no transparency. Many a times we would be at the state house and these groups would come in who were extremely informed and intelligent. And they would come in and they were not either allowed to testify or restricted in their testimony or, you know, it just, it was very, very, they were hamstrung in what they were allowed, if anything, to do. And that's not good governing. That That's not good for any of us. But that's where we are. And a lot of that, you know, I've heard people say, we really don't understand how supermajority works. That's how it works. When you have a supermajority, they have a lot of power and they don't have to listen. They don't have to compromise. They don't, they're not accountable. They don't have to be transparent or fair. I mean, that's all thrown out the window. That's why that's dangerous. And I don't care what party it is. A supermajority is not good for people. And so a balance is needed somewhere. That's why when I'm governor, I will use that office to pull those experts in and say, tell us what we need to know. We have a platform to help you be part of the solutions here. It is incredibly important we get a statewide office. So we are making sure our voices and our concerns are heard because right now they're not. So there's a lot happening in Indiana that, again, for environmental reasons, should be very, very concerning to a lot of people. Some folks are uninformed because they're busy or they just don't understand. Some people are um, ill-informed and some people just don't want to know <laughs> um, for their own reasons, but there's a lot of money on the line. Let's be honest. There's a lot of money on the line. And so when money talks, it, things happen. It's not always good. So it's our responsibility for the generations to come to make sure we're electing people who will take into consideration when there are economic development opportunities that we are considering, you know, what are we doing to our, again, soil, water, air, what are we doing to our national resources, our, our timber? What are we, what are we doing? Yeah. I, um, and I will tell you, I've done a lot of environmental work for many years. And um, one of the biggest lessons I learned is that it's always very complicated. Yes. <laughs> Every issue is very complicated and that, that makes it hard. It makes it hard to work with people. It makes it, makes it hard to organize people. Um, but the other the other lesson is is also what you mentioned that uh, just follow the money. Um, the money will tell you tell you why this is happening. Um, if you wonder why, how they get passed, why that, how are they doing that? Why are they doing that? Just look at the money. Look at who's getting paid. So that is you know that is always the bottom line. You know, and so, it's hard because these communities are being promised the moon. So when you come into some of these communities and they shine it up and they're like, oh, my gosh, I'd be so good for our, our community and our jobs and our families. But they don't talk about the impact to health, the impact right. to families, the impact to kids, the impact to, you know, what's going to happen to your in, surrounding environment. So there are consequences to development that we need to make sure that we're just being smart about. Right. And and in. Um, and I think even um, polluters have given up on the old trope of, well, it's jobs or the environment. Right. Um, because we know all, that's not true at all. We just absolutely know that's not true. There are plenty of jobs in clean energy and all kinds of other uh, great industries um, that are going to that are going to pay well uh, and 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 are not going to pollute the earth and uh, strip strip all the water out. I mean, and there's another I just um, had a conversation um, with a legislator 
um, uh, the other day about the this huge new development near um, near near Zionsville or Lebanon, um, you know, northwest of uh, Indianapolis, and the uh, and the prop and the proposal to pipe in 150 gallons, 150 million gallons of water per day from the Wabash River. Is that the right river? It might not be the river. Anyway, so yeah. One other, yeah. And so, uh, you know, and I talked to someone who's from there and they're like, that is just not possible. There is just not that much water <laughs> to give. Um, but um, the industry guy says, oh yeah, it'll be fine. Uh, we'll just move ahead. And um, and that's just so frightening because that's when you talk about, you know, like kind of the lack of transparency that's happening. These kinds of huge projects are going on. And and of course, um, in, in the last budget, there was 500 million that was given out to these pet projects. And many of them were these sorts of uh, uh, whatever industrial developments all over. Um, I know one up here near New Carlisle just got 30 million for whatever, for whatever they needed. Um, and, and many of them, many of these areas just got these crazy payoffs for what looks like no reason. Uh, but of course, I'm sure there's you know some quid pro quo that we don't know about. So anyway, okay. I've, I've like ranted. I'm so sorry. I've just continued to rant through this whole conversation. I, I apologize for that. But um, and I'm very excited about your your campaign and having you as a governor would be such a breath of fresh air, would be such a breath of intelligence coming into um, the state leadership, which would be amazing. Um, that would just be so exciting. You know, Governor Holcomb has, you know, he's pretty much been a lame duck governor the whole time. Um, just does whatever he's told to do by, you know, either Alec or, you know, the big money interests. Um, and so that's just, um, you know, it's just, it's been really just, you know, it makes people want to give up. It really does. And it's sad because we can't, we cannot stop trying. We just cannot stop trying. So, okay. So tell me then, um, so I, and I love hearing about what you're hearing around the state. I think that's really um, incredible. It's great news. And I think those are things that, you know, you can change that you can fix as governor. And so I'm very excited about that. So tell us how people can get in touch with you. I know that right now you're really on the quest to get petitions uh, signed because every candidate has to get um, enough signatures to get onto the ballot. And so you have to go around the state and get um, 500 good signatures for each congressional district, nine of them. Um, but you have to actually collect about twice that many to make sure that you get enough that have some, you know, error or are in the wrong place, or et cetera. So tell us what we can do to help you with that. Yeah, interestingly, only 16 states still require that. And Indiana is notorious for having the reputation that we are the hardest to get through our county offices to get them approved. So I've had a lot of people warn me in state and out of state to say, you get as many as possible. So um, if people are interested in helping us collect signatures, it's not hard. I mean, you, there's a little bit to it, but we could give you a lot of 30 seconds. Um, this is the direction to do it. Um, but if you if you go to mccormick4forgov.com, so mccormick4gov.com, send us an email, say, hey, we need signatures. They're by county, but some people get them for multiple counties, which is even better. Um, and then there's a post office box they can mail them back. So it's really a matter of legwork. It's, you know, and being committed to doing it. You have to find people who are registered voters. It's a great opportunity too. when I take my forms out, when someone says they're not registered, I have a QR code on the back and I flip it up and say, you sit down here right now, we're going <laughs> to get you registered. 
So it, it really is a good opportunity to get people registered and then, you know, just tell them who you are and, and remind them that, you know, Jennifer McCormick's on the ballot 2024 running for governor. She'd be our first female governor. Um, you know, so it's it's a good opportunity for conversation, but we sure would love help with signatures. In addition to signatures, we're always looking for volunteers for other ish things as well. And so we have a great volunteer base uh, across the political aisle, which I think is incredibly exciting of people who are done with extreme. They're done with crazy. They're ready for some common sense and civility. Um, you know, so they're ready to go. And then obviously it's a campaign. It's expensive. So any contributions are so, so appreciated. So. We also have some merchandise. So if anybody wants to get a t-shirt, wear it around town, that's never a bad thing for us. That's great. And now you kind of gloss over that financial part, but um, you know, people need to dig deep. Um, you know, Democrats in particular, you know, you need to stop spending your campaign money out of state. Um, I love Elizabeth Warren too, but you know what? She's gonna do fine. Uh, yeah. We need to keep those um those political donations in Indiana and we need to keep them. Uh, going to these great candidates like like you, uh, because this is you know we really do need people to dig deep. I and I am really asking people dig deep and you know contribute to your local terrific candidate. Um, and Jennifer McCormick is really one of them. So um, and so if you go to the website, I'm sure there is a link where you can make it a donation online in less than five minutes. And um, please do it, whatever little bit you can donate. $5, you know, if you can sign up for $10 a month, wow, that's great. You know, um, it's, you know, $100 by the end, you know, by 10 months from now, and we'll be well into the campaign by then. And so, um, and that would be, a, it would make a huge difference. And I know it makes a big difference to campaigns because it's just so nice to have, you know, this money that you can kind of count on coming in every month. Even if it's not a lot, it's still something you can count on, which is great. So, um, so I think that's an important part. So, and the signature, the petition signature has to be done. We have to get this done. Um, and remember that when you're asking people to sign that petition, you're not asking them to vote for Jennifer McCormick. You're just asking that she get on the ballot. Um, you know, it's uh, people get confused. Well, I don't know if I want to vote. I don't know who I want to vote for. Well, that's okay. You don't know, you don't have to know who you're going to vote for yet. You're just getting people on the ballot right now. So, um, so I think, you know, your, your energy is great. I so admire everything you have done and your courage um, and, you know, in your performance as superintendent was really um, admirable. I mean, you really stood up to a lot of pressure and, um, and it, you know, and it, and it unfortunately then resulted in, you know, the, those in power taking more power uh, because they could. And that's what we really need to stop. So, all right. So Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us. And so it's, okay, tell us your website again. McCormick. Well Four, and then it's F-O-R, McCormick4Gov.com. McCormick4Gov.com. Okay, got it. Good. All right. So, um, Dr. McCormick, any final words of wisdom for us before we sign off? Go vote. Go vote. Yes, go vote. Please go vote. Go vote. Yeah. All right, great. Well, thank you so much for joining me. This has been um, a lot of fun. I'm sorry. I, you know, I'm, the older I get, the the bit worse of a ranter I think I become. I apologize for that. Thank you.